Hey friends, Aaron here. We had a bit of a technical issue at our last all family gathering. And so we wanted to re-record this, uh, what was shared for those who weren't able to be there and for our friends who are journeying with us from afar. Unfortunately, what you won't be able to hear is the roarous laughter to my many jokes or the scores of people who came to Jesus immediately following this training. So you're just going to have to use your imagination on that one. But I want to talk today about the table. I want to talk about your table and mine. You know, the older that our kids get, the more central the table has become in the rhythms for our family. Our daughters are running everywhere with musicals and late night rehearsals and band concerts and practices and our son Jackson with soccer and track and Megan and I work. And so we're kind of all running different directions, but the table has become kind of that rallying point for our family. And we don't always do it really well, if I'm being honest, um, but we work hard to get there. So this week I was trying to work on my laptop and I was grilling up food and doing a couple other things. And Jackson ran up to me and needed something in that moment. And I was like, buddy, I'm doing a million things right now. Like I, I just can't help you with this at this moment. And without skipping a beat, Jackson, his eight said a million things, dad, that's hyperbole, more like four things. You're trying to do four things right now. <laughs> and I burst out laughing and I said, you're right, buddy. I'm only trying to do four things, but I'm at my limit. Like I just can't help you with this in this moment. But we did make it to the table. And so one of the tools that we've used, uh, for lack of a better word, is this these cards that I ordered online called Little Talk, um, Bigger Conversations with Children. And so you've got all these cards with kind of conversation prompts and so we'll take turns as a family, you know, choosing cards for one another. And then we'll all answer the, the prompt and talk about our day and reflecting. And so here's a couple cards I just pulled out right before I hit record on this. Uh, just a couple random ones, you know, questions like, what haven't you done before that you'd like to try? You know, and so we'll all talk about that. Or another question here that I pulled, what book character would you most likely to be uh, most like to be and why. And, you know, so that person will answer that question and we'll all chime in. And, and it's been, it's been a fun thing watching our family grow and things getting more busy, but making the table, uh, more and more of a priority for us. And so I want you to think about your table and your rhythms. And I want us to do this together as we think through the lens of Jesus, which is something that we, we always try to do. And so this is a passage from Matthew 9, Verses 10 through 13, we read this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about regarding the richness in this passage and what it suggests about 
the heart of Jesus, the character of God, and its implications on our lives. But I want to just hone in on this picture we're given, because we're given it many times in the life and ministry of Jesus, of him sharing a table with people from all different kinds of backgrounds, belief, unbelief, and how confounding that was to the religious leaders of his day. Some theologians have noted that the vast majority of Jesus's ministry could be summed up. We could sum it all up with moments where Jesus is on his way to a table and moments around the table and then moments after when he's coming from a table. Like That is uh, a a pretty accurate picture of Jesus's ministry. The table is absolutely central. This is a quote from Henry Nouwen, and he says this. He says, If there is any concept worth restoring to its original depth and evocative potential, it is the concept of hospitality. It is one of the richest biblical terms that can deepen and broaden our insight and our relationships to our fellow human beings. You know, one of the things what we talk about, even as we talk about the early church and we reflect on just this crazy, confounding expansion of this, this informal movement of Jesus that he initiated in the world and this exponential spread that happened throughout the Roman Empire, you know, the, and the, it can be a little bit frustrating at times as we try to make sense of it. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Acts you know that at times it can be deeply encouraging, very inspiring, and sometimes it can drive you crazy because all of these beautiful, powerful things are happening. This movement is spreading. People are, are, are bumping into Jesus through his church at this exponential rate, and we wonder why in the world are we not experiencing that here? Like, how is that possible, especially given the circumstances that were so difficult uh, so unlikely for this thing to happen, uh, including pretty intense persecution and kind of this widespread disinterest uh, amongst the kind of pagan culture around it. What made it happen? What was a silver bullet? Now, I don't know that there is a silver bullet, but I do think there's something profound here for us that we see in the life of Jesus that is replicated in the early church that paved the way for this incredible movement of God. And some people, you know, will suggest, well, they were just filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that we aren't in our our day and time. Or that, you know, the early church included Pharisees and Jews that were more religiously devoted in in a way that we don't fully understand and we've never experienced. But I think what doesn't get near enough attention is the role of the table in the early church. Now, some of you know this, some may not, but the early church didn't gather in auditoriums. Uh, They didn't gather in constructed sanctuaries or church gathering spaces as we know them. And they didn't sit in rows either, as many of us have experienced. They met around tables. This was central, not only to the life of Jesus, but to this movement in the early church. And this was not abnormal, actually, culturally in that time to see this kind of public feasting of groups of people most nights of the week. So if you lived in an ancient village or some small sect in the Roman Empire and you were strolling through town, like it was very normal to be walking through a courtyard, a back alleyway, a public space, and to see these big long tables with people gathering around them with food laid out. 
and people sharing the table together. But more often than not, those groups were what we might call guilds. And so a guild was essentially a gathering of like like-minded people, usually business people. They they worked essentially in the same industry or profession. And when they would gather, there would be some kind of religious dimension to their gatherings. So, you know, all the silversmiths would gather together or the stonemasons would gather together or the sellers of cloth would gather together and they would eat and they'd pay homage to, you know, their God or their gods, you know, um, expecting and asking for ongoing favor on their work. And they would eat and offer burnt offerings or prayers or chants or recitations of some kind to appease their God or gods. And then they'd sit down and they would eat and they would share a table and they would talk about business, the price of silver or new cloths that are coming in or the shortage of supply on this or that, just kind of the normal businessmen kind of stuff. And this was really normal. So most nights of the week, if you're walking through town, you would see these gatherings of people. You wouldn't think twice about it. You'd hear the chatter, you know, by candlelight. You would smell the food or the burnt offerings and you just continue walking by to your home or to your friend's place, whatever, because you're not a silversmith or a stonemason or whatever. However, when this movement of Jesus began and these early Jesus followers began to gather, like in some ways it, it did look similar, right? They would drag tables out in these public squares or courtyards or back alleyways. And they also had as part of their meals a kind of ritual, right? They would – the religious offering of some kind um, – they wouldn't do burnt offerings, of course, but, you know, it involved bread and wine and certain words were said and prayers were prayed. However, if you passed by their table, your experience would be nothing like what you had experienced up until that time. You would have been taken aback, right? Because, yeah, these people would be gathered around tables and eating, but if you would have stopped long enough, the, f- the first thing that would have hit you that was so different than anything you had ever seen is that it wasn't just men gathered around that table. Their tables included women. And if you'd have walked through and you saw men and women gathering together as equals sharing a meal, that would have been staggering. I mean, it would have taken your breath away. You'd never seen anything like that before. And if you hung around a little bit longer and you looked a little bit closer, you would also notice that not only were men and women gathered around this table of Jesus, uh, there were people from very vastly different socioeconomic backgrounds there. So you had rich men and poor men and rich women and poor women, uh, Jews and Gentiles. You had uh, free men and you had slaves and they're all gathered around this common table as equals. And this would have blown your mind. You'd never seen, you would have never seen anything like this anytime, anywhere in your lifetime. You were used to seeing free, wealthy men with common interests sharing public meals, but this was something different. And here's, here's the interesting thing. If you would have walked past a normal gathering on any other night of the week of silversmiths or stonemasons or dealers of cloth or whatever, you, you know, your presence probably wouldn't have been acknowledged at all. They would have been doing their thing. You're just walking by and you would have just kept on going. But if you walked around a table that was gathered in the name of Jesus in this movement we call the early church, you, you would have been called. (laughs) 
you know, they would have called out to you. Hey, Aaron, have you, have you prepped any food for tonight? You know, do you have a meal prepared? Have you eaten? Are you hungry? If not, like, come on, join us. Sit at our table. You don't have to believe what we believe or share in our cause. That's not the point. We just want to be with you. So, you know, share our table, eat our meat, drink our wine, be with us. And like that, you were treated like family. And as you were sitting there, you would have experienced this incredible hospitality. And you would listen to the conversations around that table, talking about life, encouraging one another, praying for one another, right? Uh, Spurring one another on to love and good deeds. You would see them breaking bread and drinking wine and talking about, about God, about Jesus and and what he had done and what he's continuing to do in their midst. And this was a God that's not, you know, somewhere up there in the cosmos, somebody who has to be appeased with burnt offerings. No, they talked about this God who is here in our presence. He is alive and living and reigning in our midst, healing and saving and forgiving and moving right here in the middle of our lives, right here around this very table. You know, it was said that the early church, they, they didn't conquer the Roman Empire with swords and shields. They conquered the Roman Empire with tables. This incredible, very unlikely, radically inclusive gathering of men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, gathered as equals around the table with Jesus at the center, transformed homes and villages and entire regions with this kind of hospitality. I love this quote by uh, Ford and Hirsch. They write this, you know, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Food is the product of our work, an extension of our very lives. By bringing the fruit of our labor to be shared with others, we are saying, my life for your life. People should be able to experience essentially a foretaste of heaven from our families and our homes. Missional hospitality is an incredible opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom. And this is one more quote by them. They said, you know, my friend suggested that if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person or a work colleague into their home for a meal with a family once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. At first, I thought this was an overstatement, but upon reflection, we actually believe this is true. There are at least 5 million Christian households in America What if each of these adopted the missional practice of regular hospitality? What do you think would happen? On a personal note, I think this is something that we desperately need to rediscover and embody as followers of Jesus. And if you were with us last time as we talked about this epidemic of loneliness that currently exists in our cultural moment, in our time and place, I think right now, radical hospitality has the potential to be just as transformational, if not more transformational, as it was then, right here, right now. My good friend Stephen Barr, 
uh, one of my favorite quotes by him, and I might get this wrong. I don't have it written down, but he said something to the, the fact that, you know, we need to come to terms with the reality that your table has the potential to be a much more powerful ministry tool than any pulpit ever could be. And I could not agree with my friend more. And of course, all of this comes not from trying to be strategic or effective. It's simply by returning back to the source, to Jesus himself. Right? Why do we aspire to live this way in the first place? Well, coming back to where we began, because this is the way of Jesus. Jesus.